Welcome, folks, to our final episode of Season 2. Now, in this episode, we're going to take a look at a principle of theology called eschatology. And don't let that scare you. Eschatology is simply the study of God's completed work or future events, or in, in particular for the, the context of this discussion, the doctrine of final things. And we will focus our narrative here more on how this doctrine addresses the believer on an individual level rather than from a celestial or a corporate point of view. Because what we believe individually concerning the final things of God, the consummation of his work, will affect how we view and interact with the world around us. So in regards to the final things from our Lord Jesus Christ, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. I'm Pastor Will Hunsaker, and you are listening to Brand of Man, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ, not through the agencies of man, but by the grace of God. Let us pray. God in heaven, all praise and glory to your holy name. We beg you, Lord, please guide us today in your wisdom and show us the depth of your purpose in the final things. May your kingdom come, Father. May this world pass away, all glory to the Son of God. So to begin, the biblical truths of final things should not be glossed over or cast aside as a footnote, as often they are. These beliefs deserve careful and thoughtful study, while at the same time, these beliefs should not consume or overshadow all other biblical doctrine. So we should view this doctrine as having both a divine importance and a sensible use. Now, as I stated in the opening, we will primarily discuss how the doctrine of final things relates to the future of the individual believer. So in this context, we can look at one of the most pronounced elements of this doctrine, which is the reality of death. The Bible is very direct concerning the eventual death of mankind. We are all certain to die once and then face judgment from the author of Hebrews, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after that comes judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27. So to the Christian worldview, death is a reality, but life in the cause of Christ is our purpose. From the Apostle Paul, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh while we live. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. So what exactly is death? We know it's inevitable, but what exactly is it? Well, the Bible characterizes death in two ways. The first is a physical death in which the soul is separated from the body, from the words of Christ. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Matthew 10, 28. Also from Solomon. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Now notice in these passages that 
Physical death is expressed not as a final event, but rather a transition from one type of existence to another. This is the physical death we will all encounter. Now, the second biblical expression of death is spiritual death, where the person who is physically alive is separated from God. No longer is a person who is spiritually dead able to respond to God on their own. Essentially, this is the message that the the Apostle Paul was conveying to the church in Ephesus. He said this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, the pinnacle or the climax of spiritual death is what Revelation refers to as the second This is both spiritually dead and physically dead. This is eternal separation from God, which takes place at a point of final judgment from the Apostle John. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. The bottom line of death in the context of the doctrine of final things is simply this. All death, physical and spiritual, is the outcome of sin. No one, believer or non-believer, can escape physical death, but the believer will escape the wrath of God and spiritual death. From the Apostle John, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Take note of this word perish in this verse. The Greek on it is apolumi, and in this context, it is used to express not an end of existence, but the removal from fellowship with God, perish. In other words, an end to all that is known of comfort, of pleasure, and of joy for all eternity. This is why the doctrine of final things is closely closely related to the doctrine of salvation. All believers are made righteous by God's grace through our faith in Christ for all sin, past, present, and future. However, we will still physically die. It is a condition of mankind brought about by sin. That is a final thing. So what about after death? Where Where do we go? Well, that's a good question. A lot of Christians have, a lot of non-Christians have. We know the soul is separated from the body. Bible tells us that. So where does it go? Well, what does the scripture say? In reality, it really doesn't say much, at least not to the extent of where we go while we await the return of Christ. For the non-believer, the result is not so good. As we learned earlier from a passage from Hebrews, it says this, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment, Hebrews 9.27. So for those not saved, it is the end. Because the only way we can escape judgment is to be in Christ at death. Now for the saved, we have confidence in death. As we go immediately into the presence of Jesus from the Apostle Paul. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. Again from Paul to the believers in the church in Corinth. We are all of good church, he says. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. And of course, from Jesus himself to the thief dying next to him at the crucifixion, he said this, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Now there are many theories concerning the intermediate state after death among believers even, about where this soul goes. So I'll only touch on a couple of the more popular ones. There's two that are predominantly popular in our culture, soul sleep and purgatory. So now concerning soul sleep, this has gained popularity over a few centuries, mostly due to the New Testament's use of the word sleep as a likeness of death or a metaphor of death. Essentially, this belief maintains that the soul is kept in an unconscious state after death while awaiting the second coming. There is very little evidence to support the uh, biblical use of sleep as anything other than a metaphor, as I said, for death. In addition, the Bible is very direct in its references to a conscious state rather than an unconscious state after death. A good example of this can be found in Luke chapter 16. I would encourage you to read that. Now, concerning purgatory, now this is predominantly Roman Catholic, their teaching, where a determination is made upon death of the condition of your soul. If you die in a state of God's grace, but not completely purified from sin while you are alive, your soul goes straight to a place between heaven and hell called purgatory, which is simply a place of additional cleansing. Now, the amount of time one spends in purgatory is really unknown. The additional cleansing of sin in purgatory comes from an undetermined penalty, but it can be expedited. It can be sped up by the faithful that is still living through their good works and through the Catholic Mass and prayer. So that is essentially purgatory in a nutshell. Now, the church, the Catholic Church, cites the authority of this teaching from tradition, essentially, outside of Scripture, as well as the extra-biblical text of 2 Maccabees. It's a non-canical text of the Old Testament. But the Roman Catholic Church also cites Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, as proof of the forgiveness of sin after death. The text states this, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Matthew 12, verse 32. So, as not to take too much time on this position, I will simply state that the context of this passage really has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins after death. Very vague with that, and it's a it's a pretty good reach to determine that there is the forgiveness of sin after death from that passage. The concept of purgatory is essentially contrary to a couple basic biblical truths. First, 
No work of man, be it before or after death, is sufficient to gain righteousness before God. From the prophet Isaiah, Old Testament, for all of us have become like ones who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Isaiah 46, 6. Now, I would also encourage you to read Galatians chapter 3 and the first 14 verses of chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2, just verses 8 and 9 for two crystal clear New Testament teachings on this very matter. Now, secondly, and, and more importantly, any suggestion for the atonement of sin other than through the work of Christ really takes away from that work. I mean, simply put, it nullifies the Christ. So as to the doctrine of final things, there are no biblical grounds for the existence of purgatory, soul sleep, or really any other intermediate state aside from either the blessed presence of God or eternal separation from him. Those are the only two states that exist after death for the believer or the non-believer to have biblical truths. This is why the entirety of the gospel emphasizes Jesus is the only way to eternal life. The doctrine of final things expressively emphasizes that. The believer should have no fear. When they die, God will look upon them and he will see his son for the believer. Another significant event in the doctrine of final things, and one that all believers are in agreement, is the second coming of Christ. This also is extremely important to the believer as it is the culmination of Jesus' work. His coming is seldom contested as Jesus himself stated he would come. Now, this one is just one of many verses, so from Jesus. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. There are many verses like that. I just gave you one. However, neither Jesus nor anyone else told us when he would come again. And to make it even more of a mystery, Jesus said neither him nor any angel in heaven knew that answer. Only the Father knew the time. However, he did emphasize that we are to be watchful. Again, from Jesus. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Matthew 24, verse 44. So what will this look like when the Son of Man comes again? When Jesus' second coming is evident? Well, the Bible says it will be a personal experience. Now, not just a, an in-person experience, but also for personal reasons. He's going to gather his followers from Jesus. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, verse 3. Very significant to our worldview and the doctrine of final things. Jesus is returning to personally gather believers. The book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles tells us he will return just as he left in bodily form and in glory. As a result, it will be a visible event. People will witness the event. 
The reference there is John chapter 24, verse 30. Again, his coming will be sudden and so quick that no one will be prepared from the words of Jesus. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Now, we could go on to speak of more corporate events of the second coming, but I wish to stay focused on the individual. It's the most important for our individual Christian worldview. One significant result for the individual from the second coming is the resurrection of the body. The Bible is very specific about this event from the Apostle Paul. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 2 Corinthians Chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. In addition, the doctrine of final things emphasizes a final judgment is coming from God, from the Apostle Peter. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 7. And the judge will be Christ himself. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. John chapter 5, verse 22. Now who will be judged? Who will be judged in this final judgment? Paul says, everyone. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Apostle Paul, Romans 14, verse 10. So since we're all going to stand there, what will happen during this judgment? Well, the Apostle John was given a preview of this final judgment. We read about it in Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. So simply put, those not in Christ will be judged by their deeds in life where none will be found worthy. They will be cast into the lake of fire. But those in Christ will be judged as well, 
but through his righteous deeds and given eternal life. Reference there is Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 46. So folks, the Bible clearly teaches the climax of God's work in the final things. For the individual, this begins with our death. Our body perishes, but the soul of the believer goes immediately into the presence of Christ, where we await his return and our resurrection into a new body. At which point we will stand before his throne and be judged, but judged wearing his cloak of righteousness. All evil will be cast out of his creation forever. For the first time, we will see God as he is in all his glory. From the Apostle John. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Our new existence will not be a continuation of this life, but a new life in Christ found in the dwelling place of God. We will find rest in the completion of our journey. From the author of Hebrews, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Hebrews chapter four, verse 10. And in this rest, in this rest, we will worship and serve him forever. From the words again of the Apostle John. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you, his bond servants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. There is much more I could say concerning the doctrine of final things. Much more to study much more significant thought. Thoughts on the battle of Armageddon. Thoughts on the thousand-year reign of Christ, the tribulation, or even thoughts on the final state of the wicked. But to the individual believer, this doctrine makes clear the choices we make in this life significantly affect our eternity. This life is but a vapor in the wind, as Solomon would put it. The eternal state of heaven is far greater than anything we could ever imagine. Even the imagery used by the Apostle John in Revelation was insufficient in describing it. The depth of heaven is simply the presence of God, a biblical truth, a state unbelievers will never achieve, but where the truly faithful will spend eternity. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. It has been our pleasure to bring to you season two of biblical doctrine encapsulated in these biblical truths. And we pray that all the world 
We'll see Jesus in you. God bless you all. Brand of Man will continue with another season as well as more episodes from 10 Minutes from the Pulpits.